Welcome to Dragon Talk. We are snapping it up in here. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons. It's like podcast. a poet, like a like a poetry slam. Because we're being so like. literary yes. in here, and we've got our big honking uh, mugs big of D&D coffee mugs coffee and yeah. our berets that are actually headphones. <laughs> I'm Greg Tito, and we I'm have Shelley Mazanova, and we are here to poet slam <laughs> and talk to Matt Forbeck. Yeah, who is not a poet, but he is a he novelist. Might be. He's written every other thing, but he doesn't know it. Oh, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> We're gonna let that out of the bag. He is a fantastic uh, writer, game designer. Uh, works on all kinds of crazy projects. Yep, um, including. Video games, game supplements, uh, encyclopedias, encyclopedias, dungeonology, dungeonology, uh, which is a fantastic book all about uh, getting kids into the Forgotten Realms lore uh, type of stuff, as well as uh, you know D and D out there. Yep. If you haven't picked that book up, you should be. But we're going to be talking to Matt about the Endless Quest books that are available in stores right now. There's four of them, four separate ones. They all pertain to different classes. Uh, so there is the wizard, cleric, rogue, and fighter. All have evocative uh, stories set in different parts of the uh, adventures that we've go- gone on here on uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. So that far. is really cool. Yeah, I think that's really neat. Yep, I right? didn't know that. So you're holding Escape the Underdark. That's right. Uh, you are the fighter. The fighter. Uh, welcome to the jungle is the catchphrase for Into the Jungle, uh, uh, which has to do with the dwarf cleric in Tomb of Annihilation Land. Uh, as well as uh, the rogue campaign, I think has to many to do with um, with Waterdeep and what's going on there. Yep. Speaking of which, Waterdeep Dragon Heist what's is going on there? available nowish. It's available in game stores right now, and it will be out everywhere on September 18th. It is a fantastic adventure, chock full of fun stuff that you can do in the city of Waterdeep. Uh, it is fantastic. So I suggest you go check it out. Been getting lots of pictures of people doing it over the uh, uh, weekend. And, yes, uh, I'm in fact also started a campaign. I think people are loving it. That Shelley's going to be joining, hopefully. Am I? You are. Is that what we're going to be playing when we play with Aaron? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and that's how you're going to how you're going to own a bar if you don't uh, uh, I think do it in water. That's exactly like the type of things that are going to get people, maybe like Aaron, that are hesitant yeah. to want to play. That's true. Because there's so many cool things you can do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're totally She can right. own a theater company. <sighs> now I really want to do that. Yes. Okay. We'll make it happen. Okay. There shall be things to things do. Things are happening. Uh, we also have a lot of stuff going on on the twitch.tv slash dnd yes. page. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who is watching all of our shows, but we got fun uh, new ones coming out uh, this fall, including uh, the return of season two of Rivals of Waterdeep, Sirens of the Realms, uh, Satine Phoenix Dungeon oh, Mastering cool. is also going to be doing some fun stuff there. And I'm playing in a game, uh, Dungeon Mastered by Lauren Urban, which is going to be fantastic. Which called, has the best name ever. What's it called? Clerical error. I know. It's okay. Are you all clerics? No. Or are you just the star? I think I'm the only cleric. So you're the star. No, I'm not the star because well, it's there's... it's named after you. There's No, because it's it's a, like a quadruple entendre of a title, which you'll find out when we start on are Wednesdays... secretaries? ...at 2 p.m. Pacific time on the twitch.tv slash dnd channel. Okay. No, we're not secretaries. We are working for the Dung Sweepers Guild. It's uh, an important job. Exactly. And I don't want to give uh, uh, too much away of that pilot episode, but there's going to be a lot of uh, yeah stuff out there for oh, you to check out. I can't wait to see your logo. It's fantastic. Yay. The E is backwards because it's error. Oh. 
cute. I know. Emmy, Emmy Tanji does great work. She does. But we're going to get to a segment right about now before we get to our interview with Matt Forbeck. Okay. Boom, boom. Bong, bong. Bong, bong. Ping, ping. Ping, ping. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Yes. Hello. Hi. Today on this segment, where we go through some of the fun little bits and bobs of Dungeons & Dragons lore for your interest or use in your game, we are going to talk about the code legal of Waterdeep. Mm. And yes. what that what that might mean for your players as well as well, maybe just law systems in general for 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 your major cities in your game. Yep. Uh, so what what is the code legal of Waterdeep? The code legal is a summary of all of the various crimes that can be committed in the city and their associated punishments. Mm. So um, it covers it. It's divided into four kinds of crimes. There are crimes against lords, officials, and nobles. Very, very important. Broad category. Yeah. And of course, yeah. it needs its own Of course. Of course, it entry. Needs its own. There are crimes against the city itself. Whoa. How would you define that? Um, like, for instance, well, I can pick out some examples. <laughs> Arson. Oh. Lighting the city on fire. That's, that, that's against the There's city a as a whole, right? Because it's yes. not just against the, the property owner. Yes. Um, but it's also things such as... Fencing stolen goods within the city. Okay. Stuff like that. So anything that doesn't qualify as a crime against someone is basically going to fall into the category of a crime against the city. And what's that punishable by? It depends. There's all, like, which one? Oh, no, like, the, the crime against the city. Well, it depends on the crime. Oh, all right. So the punishment fits the specific crime, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, in addition to crimes against lords, officials, nobles and crimes against the city, you can also have crimes against the common citizenry, mm-hmm. and you can have crimes against the gods. Mm. Um, uh, so, and what, and we can talk a little bit about what each of those categories entails. Okay. Now, the different types of crimes uh, carry the different kinds of punishments, and they range from anything from an edict, which is basically, don't do that anymore. And if you do that again, something bad's going to happen, mm. to death. Um, for serious, serious crimes such as treason. Uh, and Is that the worst punishment uh, death, out there? Death is pretty bad. Um, death, death tops the list probably, and then there's exile. Right. You're, not back, you're not allowed back in the city for a determined amount of time. You're dead to me. Was that, that was <laughs> <laughs> uh, flogging is a, is a penalty. Hard labor is very popular. Imprisonment, slightly less popular because then you're taking up space in Castle Waterdeep. Right. Uh, then there's fines and damages. The difference between a fine and a damage, of course, is a, a fine is payable to the city, mm-hmm. and damages are payable to an individual whom you have offended. Ah, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and so if you are um, uh, doing one of these activities uh, yes. or crimes in the city, you are going to come right. up against the city watch. Yes. They will arrest your butt and uh, take you... To a magistrate. Sometimes there's a delay and sometimes there's not. In fact, uh, some magistrates actually patrol with city watch guards. Oh, so they can make snap judgments. They can make snap judgments, exactly. And a magistrate has great latitude in administering or determining guilt or innocence and administering punishment. Uh, Doesn't need any lawyers. Wow. Can just take whatever information they can get out of whatever 
you know, witnesses or what have you were on the scene and then pronounce judgment immediately and then give sentence immediately. Wow. How, uh, how often does that happen? Is that rare or is that pretty common? Pretty common. Really? Yeah. Okay. So the first category of crimes, crimes against lords, nobles, and officials, um, among the crimes that you can commit against these individuals are assault or impersonation, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very serious. That carries a punishment of death. Uh, uh, if if it's a no, if it's a lord, if you're just a, if you're impersonating like an official or somebody, generally speaking, it's a lesser punishment like a flogging or imprisonment, up to a ten day and a fine. Right, and this uh, includes obviously magical uh, right disguise yes, as exactly. well. As, impersonating yes. is is wide enough where it can be in any of those things. Correct. Blackmailing an official is a crime with mm. a punishment of flogging and exile of up to ten years. Bribery or attempted bribery of an official. Uh, can lead to exile of up to 20 years and a fine of double the bribe amount. Attempted bribery. Murder of a lord, official, or noble is death. Death to you. (laughs) Death to them, death to you. Eye for an eye. Yeah. Using magic to influence a lord without consent is imprisonment up to a year and fines or damages up to 1,000 GP. So so that that is is, uh, repeated a couple of times throughout the code legal what yes. does that mean, using magic to uh, influence a lord? So if you use a suggestion spell to make ask a lord to do something for you or to do something nice to you, once the spell wears off and the lord realizes that you know magic was used against him or her, mm-hmm. that they can basically have you arrested for casting that spell. How do you prove that, that, it, that a spell was cast on you? Chances are you don't have to. If the lord says you did it, Oh, you're going to, it becomes a, yeah. uh, he said, yeah. he said, she exactly. said, there's a lot of, he said, she said, interesting in, in water Davian law. So do, do many nobles or Lords have, uh, magic items or, or ways of divining whether or not they've been influenced in this way for that reason? Um, no, they don't need to. Um, generally speaking, once the spell effect, it no longer takes hold. They realize what's happened and mm-hmm. can take the proper legal course of action. Now, has this, this, this is interesting to me because this is probably the one fantastical element mm-hmm. of this, this legal code, right? So it's, yeah. it's specifically against, you know, charm magic because that's a, a thing in D&D, Correct. right? Yes. And I wonder, do you know the origin of that? Like, did that come from uh, uh, Ed Greenwood's mind when he was yeah. running Waterdeep? Yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of, it's a thing that you know is going to happen in a city. Yeah. That if there's magic that can charm people, that people will use charms to get all sorts of around all sorts of things past guards, that kind of thing, past having to pay tolls Mm. and and stuff like that. So, yeah, an official like a guard at a gate is an official. And if you if you try to cast a spell, you know, we're not the blah you're looking for. (laughs) And the guard realizes saves against the effect or realizes afterward that he was or she was duped then that carries a serious, penalties. A serious so yeah, Ed identified pretty early on that this was going to be a thing in a city, probably from experience. Right, he knows players. Yeah, crimes against the city, which is the second category, includes arson, which carries a punishment of death or hard labor for up to a year, plus fines and damages. Mm-hmm. Um, there's brandishing weapons without due cause, and that's another interesting one. Yeah, why? Yeah, so that must have come from adventurers just coming mm-hmm. into the city and being yep. like, I'm going to fight you. Yep, and that carries a fine of imprisonment up to a 10-day and a fine of up to 10 gold. So It's um, enough to, to thwart anything. It's a anything. bit of a deterrent. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe a lot of a lot of players won't care if they just spend you know 
a 10 day in prison and they get out with a mild fine. How for- wide is the definition of uh, uh, weapons in that case? Like would a monk brandishing his fists mm. would that would no. that count? No. It only means bladed or, yeah. or yeah. Or- if you're if you're if you're threatening or walking around with a, a mace out and threatening passersby, and brandishing means you're actually you got it in hand and it looks like you mean to do business with it. Right. It doesn't mean you've just got your hand on your pommel or you're you're using a dagger to open an envelope in the street or something like that. It's actually brandishing with a threat to inflict violence. I got it. What what about a, a spellcaster uh, who is? You're fine. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of forgiveness about like if you if you're walking with your staff down the street and pointing that around. Most people don't necessarily equate that with a weapon. Got it. Um, so uh, you but if you're like, hey, I can cast magic missile at any right. of you. Yeah. If you, if you point at people and say, you know, I'm going to zap you with lightning if you don't back off, that's brandishing a weapon. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Espionage carries a threat of death or permanent exile. Fencing stolen goods, forgery of official documents, hampering justice is a nice vague one. That is a nice uh, vague yes, one for is. any dungeon master exactly. out there. Exactly. If you hamper justice, the fine is up to 200 gold and hard labor up to a 10-day. Whoa. So that could be hampering justice could be just not – like if a city guard questions you and you're belligerent, that's hampering justice. Okay. If you um, – if a city guard – if there's a bar brawl going on and the city guard tells everybody to clear out and they don't immediately, that's hampering justice. Oh. So it's, it's pretty flexible. Yeah. Has that used quite often or mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, yeah. 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 It's a great way to fill the city's coffers. <laughs> oh, right. Cause it's only fines. So it's that's like, right. all right, pay 200 right. bucks. It, it's fines and hard labor. And for hard labor, um, most hard labor. So if you're imprisoned, typically you're locked up in castle Waterdeep. Okay. Or if it's a relatively short span of time, like a day, a drunk tank basically kind of situation, they'll just take you to a local watch post and lock you up there. They usually have a couple cells where they can put people temporarily for short term. Mm-hmm. But if you've got an imprisonment sentence that's you know, a season or months or years or whatever, Castle Waterdeep is probably going to be where they're going to keep you. Makes um, sense. If it's hard labor, typically that can happen one of two places it can happen in the city itself where you're basically put to work like fixing a wall or digging a well Mm. or something like that Um, but often hard labor is served out side of the city walls Um, around the eastern side of the city there's all this farmland in a village called undercliff and north of the village of undercliff is a place called amens farm or amens farm and what it is is it's a place where they send criminals to basically work till fields and and do that kind of thing often often hard labor will take you out there and you'll be basically stuck out there in a chain gang um, doing labor under the supervision of watch officers i immediately was brought to mind the end of the first superman movie uh, Mm -hmm. where lex Luthor and everything all the chain gang and they're they're doing that thing yeah another city crime is poisoning a well that carries a sentence of death oh gosh yeah of course um theft comes uh, with flogging followed by imprisonment for up to a 10-day hard labor up to one year or a fine equal to the value of the stolen goods treason is death vandalism is imprisonment vandalism yeah yeah uh, so f- even just like writing up a graffiti or anything like that right. or vandalism yeah is- it, vandalism imprisonment up to a 10-day plus fine and damages covering up to the cost of repairs plus 100 gold Waterdeep is a very tidy city for the most part there are, yeah. there are rough areas the field ward the dock ward where things aren't quite ship shape but 
Um, by and large, the city takes great pride and actually has guilds who are responsible for helping to keep the city clean. If you are hindering their efforts, obviously that's annoying to them, and so they, the guilds oh. advocate for fairly stiff punishments for vandalism. So if you were playing a member of the Dung Sweepers Guild, for example, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and people were uh, hampering what you were doing, you could have them yeah. prosecuted under... Of course. Uh, under, crimes under, against the city? Under the code legal, crimes against the city, absolutely. Excellent. I will be using this. The third category is crimes against the gods, which is assaulting a priest or a lay worshiper, mm-hmm. disorderly, contact within, content, disorderly conduct within a temple, public blasphemy against a god or a church. So is that just literally being like, I don't believe in XXX? Yeah, or, or basically um, misrepresenting a god, um, oh. saying false statements about a god. Um, or say, shouting that, you know, this God or that God's going to, you know, burn the city to the ground for all your transgressions, that kind of thing. Things that are not in keeping with the, the tenets of a faith. Oh, okay. now, now, that's a fairly mild crime. It usually, the punishment is typically an edict, a warning not to do it again. If you right. do it a second time, an edict kicks over to a more serious punishment. I see. Um, theft of temple goods and then tomb robbing. Follows in, falls into the category of gods. Oh, man, that's basically what every adventurer does. I know, yes. So now, now, now there aren't a lot of tombs just around the city, but there are in the portion of the city called the City of the Dead, which is Waterleap's huge parkland cemetery. There right. are, it's full of ancient mausoleums, and there are tombs there. So if you're caught robbing or despoiling one of those tombs, you can be uh, held up and uh, charged or imprisoned for up to a 10-day and forced to pay damages plus 500 gold. Um, so tomb robbing could be very expensive if you're not clever and quiet about it. Right. So you have to make plans, yeah. have have an out, make sure you're there yes. for a reason uh, if you're doing something like that's pretty conspicuous. Precisely. Yeah. Now, the last category of crimes is crimes against citizens. Assaulting, blackmailing or intimidating a, seas- a citizen, bur- burglaring a citizen's residence, damaging a citizen's property, stealing its livestock, um, uh, murdering a citizen, obviously, <laughs> robbing, uh, enslaving. Slavery is illegal in Waterdeep. Oh, good. So if you enslave a citizen, it could carry a uh, hard labor of up to 10 years plus flogging. Using magic to influence a citizen is not as serious a crime as using magic to influence a noble or a lord or an official. So the sentence is typically a fine or damages. Okay, so it's not, uh, uh, you're not going to be arrested and taken away, but you might yeah, have yeah, to pay. Up. Yeah, right. Um, and I, I would assume uh, that that's much harder to prosecute uh, than... It can be. Well, there, there the he said, she said, it really comes down to the magistrate probably making the equivalent of insight checks uh, to determine who he or she thinks is being sincere. Right. Um, because whereas a lord's word carries more weight than a citizen. That's not true when two citizens are, one is accusing another citizen of crime and things like that. How often does that, uh, is that used? How often is this criminal system used by the, by the common citizens? Often. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is uh, more than, ju- it, it is a way of life in the city of Waterdeep. The, the code legal is a double-edged sword, obviously. It's, it's hugely beneficial for curtailing crime in the city. Yeah. Um, at the same point, um, it can be a little constricting or, or worrisome, particularly if you're a wizard who likes to lean on charm person spells to get what you want. <laughs> uh, so uh, one has to be cautious. And the fact that magistrates can basically exercise their, their privileges uh, and pretty much decide if you're guilty or not based on just what they, you know, what they think, what at, that they think at the moment. Right. Um, now... You would think that that would lead to 
that would lend itself to a lot of corruption among the magistrates. But in fact, the opposite has proven to be true, and that is most magistrates don't wouldn't hold their positions long if they gained a reputation for being mm. dishonest in their profession. So most magistrates are thoughtful. They do actually listen or pay heed to what they're told or what they see and, um, and render judgments fairly. Now, one of the most interesting things, and this is mentioned in Dragon Heist, is some magistrates, a magistrate isn't bound by the code legal as far as the punishments that are meted out. The code legal provides the suggested punishment for the crime, but a magistrate can, can level any kind of punishment he or she wants oh, for any crime. And uh, in some cases, some magistrates like to do what are considered to be um, atypical punishments. For instance, a punishment to a crime might be, like let's say you burgle somebody. Yeah. Your punishment might be, in addition to a fine, having to stand on a street corner wearing a sign that says, I am a lying thief. Don't Please throw me. apples at my head. Oh. <laughs> um, or uh, if it's a more serious crime, your punishment might be, instead of imprisonment, you're turned to stone. For that long. For that long. So that you're basically out of the picture. Wow. Uh, uh, you could be sentenced to basically work off your debt to an individual uh, by serving that individual as a um, magically compelled not, ma- not necessarily magically compelled but overseen or supervised ah. so city watchmen might watch as you basically scrape the barnacles off of the ship of the captain that you slighted in the tavern interesting uh, and so uh, often often the crimes fit the punishment but they can be quite creative hmm. about how many Magistrates are in the city. That is a very good question. So uh, basically, um, uh, Dragon Heist spells this out, I think, um, but I think it's like a couple dozen. They're sort of scattered throughout the wards. Okay. So each each major ward has somewhere on the order between like two and four operating magistrates at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like like we said at the beginning, some of them some of them wander about the streets. Uh, walk, the, walk, their walk, beat. walk their beat. <laughs> That's pretty Other, cool. Others you have to go see in a courthouse or you're taken to see in a courthouse. Um, and what, um, uh, how, how big is the, the city watch? By oh, it's, as well? um, the city watch, the police force of Waterdeep it numbers in the hundreds. Okay. Yeah. So b- those are the two major arms of the justice system, right? That the watch can take you yeah, in there's and the, the police, judge. There's the police who investigate and, are, and are make arrests. And then there's the magistrates who hear the cases and resolve the, the punishments. But they're also, I mean, you said they could judge it in on the streets, but there Correct. also is courthouses where they could judge yes, there. And that's yes, where yes. Uh, barristers or lawyers could come in. They could. Um, Not you, you could, you could, You could have a barrister, a lawyer, or a solicitor try to represent you. Um, but it's not a it's not a normal practice, and most citizens don't have that kind of at resource. Okay, at the it, it, there's no guild of lawyers out there. Uh, there is no lawyers guild out there. Um, <laughs> this really is a fantasy city. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The um, now an interesting thing is if you feel like you have been wrongly persecuted, and you can get your case heard or elevated to a lord of Waterdeep, a yeah. masked lord, a masked lord can overrule a magistrate and basically give a different sentence oh. in in effect the max lords of Waterdeep have all the powers of a magistrate got it and can serve as a magistrate if a case is brought to them hmm. now generally speaking you don't know necessarily who a mass lord is right so 
if you do manage to get your case brought before a mass lord, chances are you're seeing them in their regalia so that you don't know who they are. And, you know, they're no, they're no different in effect from any other magistrate. All right. Good to know. You, know, you got to work on unmasking them to, or, yes. to, or, you know, if someone has... But what's interesting is if you have, let's say, for instance, your character do, does have some affiliation with a masked lord, that gives you a tremendous amount of power if that masked lord is beholden to you for some service rendered or uh, what have you, you can get your crimes thrown out just mm. because of who you know. Oh, so right. That's important. Yes. That's, yes. It's going to be very and important so in, in Wardy Dragon like, Heist as in well. In Dragon Heist, for instance, um, one of the side quests that you can go on has the potential to turn you into an ally of Mert, mm. the moneylender, the, and he is a masked lord. So if you're willing to do something for him, he, you can then, if you get into trouble later on, go to him and he can essentially absolve you or rid you of your, your, the punishment for your crime. And that's a pretty good uh, uh, ace to have in your pocket. Yes, yes. For sure. Very interesting. Uh, cool. Well, lots of great stuff there uh, for players and dungeon masters alike as mm-hmm. they prepare to run Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I love yeah, as a, as a DM, it, the sooner that the players can get a copy of the code legal in their hands, and there's a handout in the the product, the the better off your campaign will be. Because I think when it comes to laws and the code legal, transparency is key. Yeah. Because it is not as uh, freewheeling as other settlements in the Forgotten right. Realms are. Yes, and you can ask, any, any character can ask any city watch captain for a copy of the Code Legal, and they'll be more than happy to provide you with one. Nice. Who prints all those copies? Uh, they have printing presses in Waterdeep, so probably the watch pays some local printer to do it. Nice. Yeah. That, that could be a side quest unto itself. Mm-hmm. Shabbat, if you were like yeah. a, a, yeah, all right. Fun stuff. Yep. I, I, as always talking to you, I'm like inspired uh, for more fun story things, so I'm excited. Uh, very cool. All right. Uh, if people wanted to ask you anything about what's going on in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, how can they get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. And you can ask me uh, none of those things, but I can probably help <laughs> at uh, Greg Tito on Twitter as well. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with some more fun stuff. Root. Root. <laughs> Wasn't that lore you should know segment Amazeballs? I love it. Can I say Amazeballs? Is that yes. against the rules? No. <laughs> Amaze hairs. Inflatables. I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> Inflatable hair is amazing. And we. No, it was wonderful. Just wonderful. We enjoyed it quite yep. a bit. Uh, but I need to start talking about uh, the author that is coming in. Let's do it. uh, To call in and talk to us from uh, sunny Wisconsin. Sunny. Sunny. Isn't it sunny? I don't know. It's always sunny in Wisconsin. Is it? No. Hmm. Hmm. That sucks. So call him in now. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's find out. (laughs) All right. We have a newcomer. We do. We do. First time. On the show. It's Matt Forbeck. Hey, Matt Hi, Forbeck. Folks. How are you? How are you doing? Thanks for having me up. No well, problem. Clearly, you've been way too busy writing books to be a guest on Dragon Talk, so I'm glad <laughs> that. Yeah, I do a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, know. we were we at were, least four at once. We were just talking to uh, uh, Mr. Bob Salvatore, and he was saying he had uh, uh, two books per year, and I'm like, oh, I think our next guest might have you beat. He'll catch up someday. <laughs> Slow. He's been at him longer than I have, so he's got more books, more novels to hold. But uh, but I'll catch him. I'll, yeah, I'll if you see. keep putting out four at a time, you're gonna. You'll yeah, catch that'll, him. 
<laughs> about how many? How, how, on, a, on a rough count, how many books do you think you've 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 touched in the years? Uh, you know, just for pure straight novels, it's something like thirty-three, thirty-four, and for uh, that's not counting these books here. Uh, if you talk about game books, like source books and such, yeah, and I write stuff like the Marvel Encyclopedia and things like that too. Oh, that's gotta uh, be fun. You've got to be over a couple hundred at some point. I'm not sure really. I have to Whoa. sit down. A couple so. hundred. That's insane. Well, I've been doing it since I was in college, right? So, um, you know, 30 years on now. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 28, 29 years on. Uh, eventually it catches up and you end up with a whole bookshelf full of stuff. So it's yeah. all good. In, a sec- in an office with three secret doors. So exactly. I hear. That's what, that's the secret. <laughs> the secret is the oh, secret. Oh, I've read that book. The secret. No. <laughs> uh, so, where you went? Did you go to school in Wisconsin? I went to the University of Michigan. Actually, I grew up here in Wisconsin, which is coincidentally not very far from the birthplace of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. right. I grew yeah. up forty-five minutes from Lake Geneva, which is where TSR used to be. And I often say, if I had been a, uh, if I grew up in Southern California, I'd gotten into film. If I'd grown up in New York, I would have gotten directly into publishing or television. But because I grew up in southern Wisconsin, I got into games, right? I fell into the wrong crowd, <laughs> essentially. And, <laughs> and it's, it's served me well ever since, so I don't complain about it. I think it's the good crowd. What are I you talking know, about? that's the right no, no, crowd. I was uh, part of this group called the Illiterates, which was uh, Troy Denning and Doug Niles and Steve Sullivan and a whole oh bunch of other. Uh, Tim Brown and uh, Don Perrin. And then we have a whole uh, West Coast branch that meets out in uh, Seattle that's like Jeff Grubb and Steve Winter and a a bunch of other folks. And uh, I just actually had lunch with uh, Doug Niles and Steve Sullivan this afternoon. Oh, nice. Really? In a few months. So it was just great to catch up with them for a while. They're local? They're in Wisconsin? Yeah, Doug is actually living in Madison nowadays. He's got a grandson that he's doing daycare for a couple days a week. Oh, so sweet. And Yeah, he's he's such a sweetheart. His wife teaches school out there. And Steve lives in Burlington, which is just down the road. And uh, in the same city as Rob King, actually, if you remember Rob. Wisconsin is a hotbed of I literary know. talent. Right. So uh, for, for, for folks who may not know what, what uh, uh, you know, uh, those, 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 uh, were, they, were those old uh, TSR employees or were they? Uh, those are. Those are all, almost all TSR. Actually, every one of those was old TSR employees from back in the day. That's so crazy. Uh, you know, that includes like Margaret Weiss is still in the area, things like that. There's, yeah. there's a lot of folks that are still around here. Um, even from the old TSR days, uh, Duke Siegfried, uh, who was Uncle Duke, who actually did like the first D&D miniatures ever, still lives in Janesville, Wisconsin, 20 minutes north of me. And last I checked, was still playing in a jazz trio uh, a couple weekends a month. Oh, that's even awesome. though he's been, wow. been ill for a while, but he still gets out there and plays occasionally. He's Barred through and through. Yeah, exactly. there you go. <laughs> Right. Probably the original inspirations. <laughs> That's where I mean. So uh, I haven't been to Gary Con actually probably since you and I played at a table uh, uh, yeah. many many years ago. Um, but that was the feel being in 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 Lake Geneva was that like everybody knew everybody and and old TSR employees were still there and and even folks who just worked at the sandwich shop were like oh yeah I have, everybody had stories about uh, uh, TSR and those and 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 what it was like for for that time in the eighties. Oh those yeah stories. those were glory days. I mean I grew up around here. I never actually worked in the offices, but I was freelancing for uh, TSR back in the in the 90s, even early 90s. Mm. And actually, even when I was 16 years old, I had a, uh, I started a mini magazine. I had my own gaming magazine when I was 16 years old. My dad says, you either need to get a job or get to start a business. And I said, well, I hate working, so I'm going to start a business, and I'll start a gaming magazine. And I went into <laughs> the TSR offices and interviewed uh, Dieter Sturm, who was their VP of communications back in the day. 
And mm-hmm. here I am, like, 16 years old, my notebook and my little recorder and trying to keep track and catch up with everything. Oh, I, yeah, lo- I had my own booth at on that year, actually, at uh, the year I turned 17. And I lost every dime I had on this magazine. It was about $1,000 <laughs> I had been saving for college. But oh. it turned out to be the best tuition money I ever spent, right? I learned more money doing that than I did on any course I ever took anywhere else. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah, you learned by doing. There. Yeah. Definitely. Very ambitious. That's crazy. So are you a lifelong gamer? Did you grow up, or when did you first discover D&D? I started with Dungeons and Dragons back when I was about 13 years old. A friend of mine across the street, uh, his mother picked it up for him at Kmart on a blue light special, believe it or not. Hey. And he gave it to him for Christmas. And we kind of didn't get into it until summer break. And then suddenly uh, we started playing it, and like I got hooked immediately. And I think we were playing... Uh, basic Dungeons and Dragons, but with the advanced Dungeons and Dragons monsters and modules, which meant we got killed, we got slaughtered every day. So we played like every day all summer long and had to come up with a new party like about three quarters of the time because we'd have total party kills every time, right? And uh, we just got hooked on it. We had a ball just, uh, and to this day, that kind of sustains me. Those are uh, just the kind of fun I had at that age. You know, it allows me to, to I still tap into that when I'm writing books for Dungeons and Dragons and for other things. Aww. Yeah, it's all good fun. Now, do your kids play too? They do. Uh, They don't play as often as they would like to. They want me to run a campaign for them, but I just haven't had enough time to actually sit down and come up with a campaign. Do it. Uh, We have a hard enough time playing things like Pandemic Legacy, to be honest with you, which are board games that have a series that you play with them. Um, By Rob Dad, yeah. Well, we do play at conventions. Every time we go to a convention, we go to Gen Con, we go to Gary Con, we go to Game Hole Con or whatever. Uh, we will actually sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons with whoever's running the, at that show. So, um, you know, we'll just set aside two or three sessions and then sit down and, and uh, go on through it and have a blast. So we never save the characters, right? They're, you're always supposed to do these things where you save the characters and move them on. We're like, yeah, screw it. We'll start at first level again. Disposable. Yeah, yeah uh, right. That makes kill sense. Kill them all off. Just wipe the slate clean. We move on. So. Well, it's very convenient that you basically, your family is a and d party. <laughs> It is. <laughs> you were like, you know what we need? We need four kids, four books, four kids. Here we go. <laughs> I feel like there's a theme here. <laughs> Matt and there's, well, there's two girls there, and I have two, three boys and a girl in my group. But they'll, they'll figure it out. It's, yeah, they'll figure it out. They're kind of gender-free is one of these books. These, when I was writing the books, I mean, we all have characters for them, but uh, we try to make it so that when you're playing the books, the gender doesn't matter. It's really just you get to play and get into it no matter who you are or what yeah. you care about. So yeah. It, yourself in the fantasy and lose yourself yeah there was i started reading one to my son and he uh, was at one point he goes am i a girl and <laughs> i was like i don't know matter, do you want right? to be like we it's up to you it's fantasy and he was like no i want to be a boy I'm like okay whatever like, i don't remember what i read that made him think like that he was a girl but whatever you're comfortable with it doesn't yeah. matter you be you kid <laughs> whatever you want I suppose we should talk about these books. That oh yeah, yeah you know that's I suppose that's why you have me on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are, there are, there are four amazing uh, uh, pick your path uh, kind of books where you can uh, choose where you're going to go uh, in the story. Right? Yeah, exactly. How how uh, difficult yeah. is it to write for that I can't rather than an, a regular novel? It's it's really a challenge, but I mean because I've done so much game design over the years, I started out in tabletop game design and then moved into writing novels later on. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a crossroads of which I'm comfortable, right? And it's not something that's very new to me. However, uh, when we decided to do these books, it was kind of strange because 
they came up with a page plan for me that actually was all done ahead of time. And I had to sit down and flow chart it all out. So I knew how all the different decision trees work. Um, oh. And one of the strange things about this is they, they also are planning at some point, maybe to do a mass market edition of books, right? So when they did this, they said, we need to have a 128 page book, but the mass market edition will probably only have 96 pages. So we need to be able to rip a quarter of the pages out of this without anybody ever noticing that they belong there. Oh my God. Wow. So that presented a bigger challenge for that. But, um, and you know, who knows, somebody like Scholastic or whoever will do Matt or Walmart will do mass market editions that are black and white all the way through and cheap paper, and three, you know, $5 or whatever. If that ever happens, I really like the full color, full yeah, length. Yeah, these are beautiful. Now. But anytime you get to a point in the story where there's three choices, the reason there's three choices as opposed to two is because that was one of the choices that gets thrown away for the other book, the other oh. edition. So. But uh, I had to figure out, okay, this is the stuff, all the stuff in red over here, that stuff that can be thrown away, but the stuff that's regular over here, uh, that's blue or whatever, that's stuff that we keep and it will be on all the editions. So. Oh, my gosh. Um, but because you're, uh, that just meant the main storylines would go through the, the blue stuff, and the red stuff was more of the death and destruction and mayhem and misery and everything else that we're keeping them <laughs> That's one of the great things about writing books like this is you have, there's 26 different endings. And, you know, maybe a quarter of them are good triumphant endings, right? Um, but I want the kids to try to find them. I want them to try to look through them and fail often and early and, you know, die in miserable ways. And say, oh, geez, I made the wrong mistake. Right. And I'm going to go there and just backpack, backtrack to the last decision tree I had and make a different decision and see where it takes me, right? These are books I don't want a kid to just read through once. I want them to read through multiple times and see not only the exciting triumphant times, but also the times when things fail miserably. Because I want those to be just as exciting and entertaining for the kid or whoever's reading them as it is uh, the triumphant ones as well. So do you think, I mean, obviously these were uh, uh, intended to be for all audiences. Uh, yeah. But w what age do you think you would want, uh, you know, that, that, that is the sweet spot for, for right. letting people read these? The official age group on the back of the book is 8 to 12 years old. And I think that's perfectly fine. I tend to say 10 and up. There are, some of them are a little bit darker than others. None of them are terribly violent. And I've, I've seen people reading them to their kids who are as young as three or four or five. Even, right. Um, yeah. So, you know, whatever works for you, especially if you're a parent reading to a child, you can editorialize and, and change things as you go. If there's something that your particular child maybe isn't going to be comfortable with. Right. right. And, you know, having a number of children of my own, I'll, I know that it's about uh, every kid is different and every kid is more comfortable. You have to gauge their own personal comfort level with mm -hmm. these things. And that's part of being an involved parent is just figuring that stuff out. So it's a great way to get into these books and read them. In fact, at Gen Con, I did this, and at Game Hole Con, I'm going to do the same thing, where uh, I'm going to read through the books as a game event, and we're going to I'm going to do a, like a reading, and then we're going to have the people at the table with me vote for which direction we go. Right? Oh, cool! Kind of change things up, and, and maybe I'll juice things up as I go too, and toss in little fun bits for people off the top of my head, just the way you would rip off any other normal game. I thought about doing that for uh, the live stream because I've been doing you know these D and D news uh, live streams yeah, yeah. on our, our Twitch and talking about endless uh, quest and I read a few passages and I think the chat immediately was like, "Ooh, do story time! Do story time!" You should <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be really fun. They are so much fun to read. Thank Always. you. Yeah, I had a ball working on them. They're just uh, you know, it, like I said, it's at the crossroads where I tend to sit, right? As far as yeah. games and um, and you know, this is something. It's Dungeons and Dragons is something I've been working with since the '90s, really. I, wrote, I used to write stuff for second edition way back in the day. I wrote a bunch of stuff for third edition and uh, little for fourth and some now this stuff kind of stuff in the fifth edition era. And the Dungeonology book I wrote last year as well. Oh, that's so, another favorite in our house. Yeah, I just had a ball working this. It's just fun to get back to those things that you remember as a kid 
and then bring them uh, and maybe hopefully freshen them up for next generation so that we can be raising more and more little uh, dungeon masters and players as we go. Absolutely. Uh, I also like that these books tie in with uh, the Dungeons and Dragons lore from the last few adventures. Yes, that was actually a late development. Um, well, I got a book and a half into the series before somebody said, you know, we really ought to have these tie in with the Dungeons and Dragons lore, the latest modules and such. I'm like, oh, that's really smart. I wish you'd said that to me like a month and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I ended up, uh, the first book, fortunately, which was To Catch a Thief, was, was uh, something that melded well enough into the lore already. And then there was a second book, which I don't even remember what the heck we were calling it anymore. But I ended up throwing it away and then you know, cannibalizing parts of it mm-hmm. for other books that I ended up writing. But they all ended up working out really well with the, with the current lore. And I think it was fun to be able to riff off that and find pieces of the adventures that I thought were going to uh, kind of glow in these, these uh, pick-a-path books. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, right. So the so the cleric uh, uh, one into the jungle very much has to do with Chult and the, uh, what was going on in the, the Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, but there's an artist Simber subplot that goes throughout that. That's one of the characters from uh, the Harpers and the Forgotten Realms books that Jim Lauder did many years ago. So nice. Uh, so it was neat to be able to pick up threads of that and weave that into the story as well. Did you know those books uh, back when those were coming out? I, I knew of them. I didn't read all the books. I mean, it's impossible to catch up with all the D&D books, right? But actually, <laughs> Jim, Jim wrote me earlier, and he's like, why didn't you talk to me about this? I'm like, oh, I should have. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, of course, because you had that network of, of old yeah, school exactly. employees. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you would have been able to get in touch with them. Jim lives in New Berlin, actually. We go out and see a, a Brewers game about once a year or so. And, nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's neat to hang out with these guys. And there's John Kavalik and Bill Bodden and Matt uh, McElroy and Monica Belts and Elliot from Madison, too. We just... We, we end up getting together and doing social stuff as well as playing games. It's, it's a lot of fun. That Plus sounds the whole really fun. Engine too. I end up doing a, uh, a freelancer's party. I haven't done it in the last couple of years, but not because of snow or, or deaths in the family or whatever. But we, usually around Christmas, we'll have a freelancer's party where everybody meets in Beloit because it's between Madison and Chicago and Burlington, whatever. And we all come here and have a big dinner and just hang out with each other for a night. Uh, because as freelancers, we don't get holiday parties, right? We have to make our own. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why freelancers unions exist is for holiday exactly. parties. Exactly. And as writers, you don't really get to see. Well, you have a big family, but a lot of writers are just by themselves a lot. So it's kind of nice to get out and uh, talk exactly. to people. Whenever I go to a convention, I'm like, oh, you just let me out of my cage. I've been sitting in here. With <laughs> Human <wife> contact. <laughs> I need it. I need it now. <laughs> are, you, are you real? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I like going to conventions and doing that kind of stuff. Gen Con's my big favorite, obviously, but all of them are, uh, get to manage to go to are fantastic. Yeah, so you're this, just we were when uh, we were talking earlier, you were talking about the Diana Jones uh, Awards uh, yeah. and uh, how that wh- where, where did that come from? Uh, the, the Diana Jones Award was originally a uh, trophy that James Wallace, who's a game designer over in England, found himself in possession of. It turned out that it was actually uh, created by TSR UK, believe it or not, way back in the day. After they closed down the entire uh, branch of the company and everybody was fired and let go, they took a copy of the Indiana Jones role-playing game and they burned it, oh. right? And Jeez. the only part of the logo that was left was the part that said Diana Jones. So they actually took this and encased it in a plexiglass pyramid and put it on a base, on a wooden base with a little uh, uh, plaque in the front of it that says Diana Jones Award. And uh, this became a pub trivia trophy that passed back and forth around England for a while in London. And somehow James ended up with it. And he's like, well... I have a trophy. I should come up with an award, right? And so he did. So he came up with the Diana Jones Award, which is uh, the Diana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming. 
It's basically for anything that the secret cabal of people that do this uh, thought was most excellent in gaming that year. And the first year it went to Peter Atkinson, and it's gone to lots of other people since. Uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, there's so many people. There's uh, Jordan Weissman. There's uh, Irish Charity Gaming Auctions won it one year. Uh, I think Eric Lang won it one year. It's been through a lot of different uh, people over there. Uh, Tabletop by Will Wheaton won it one year, actually, too. And that was a lot of fun. Nice. This year it went to actual play, which is you guys know is doing streaming on Twitch. It's been a huge mm-hmm. movement within tabletop games over the last couple of years. And we kind of thought it, it had reached a point where it's just blasting doors off things. Um, but this started out as just this, tr- this trophy with a bunch of guys on a mailing list. And uh, it happened to be uh, Gen Con 17 years ago. It was my... 30, my 20th Gen Con in a row. I've been going since I was a kid. And my 33rd birthday happened to fall on Gen Con that, that year. So I'm gonna, I had a big party that year uh, with money for, that was given to me by George Bush as part of the, <laughs> the Bush bucks, the rebate dollars we were given back in 2000, 2001, whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm going to use this money not because I wasn't a big believer in George Bush. So I'm like, I'm going to use this money to throw a party for my friends. So I bought barrels of beer and boxes of pretzels and had a big beer and pretzels party at Gen Con. Nice. And uh, James stood up and said, can I get, I don't really have any way to do this. Can I give out my trophy at your party? And he said, I said, sure, of course. So he stands up on a chair and he has Peter on another chair and he hands Peter the trophy. That was <laughs> the beginning of the Diana Jones Award. Um, and people liked the party so much, we decided to move it to Wednesday night before Gen Con where uh, it, it's where everybody's gone and set up all the different professionals are welcome to show up. And if you've gone and done booth setup and you had dinner and you just want to have a beer with your friends, you come to the Diane Jones Award party. And we just basically sit around and drink all night and then stop everything for about 10 or 15 minutes and hand out an award and then go back to the drinking and catching up with everybody. Nice. And I pass around the hat nowadays to a lot of different companies. And I get a few thousand dollars that we just basically spend on drink tickets. And I hand those out to the door to everybody who shows up. And it's just my way of saying hi to all my friends because Gen Con's now gotten so big that if I don't do this, the only chance I'm going to see a lot of people is to book time with them, right? Because there's just no way to just randomly bump into people anymore because, there, you know, 80,000 people show up. So, And if you do, uh, someone's so, always got something to go somewhere else or, yep. you know, there's the, exactly. you're, you're making them late for something. Booth, or they got <laughs> business or whatever. Yeah. So this way I get to actually say hi to everybody and then, you know, you know wish them well as they go off and, and uh, <laughs> do battle against the hordes of gamers that show up at the doors of their booths. So, yeah. It's all. That sounds fun. I dig it. And yeah, thank you. Uh, where are you for the actual play award? I mean, I just seemed to like it, it made sense uh, this time around, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. I thought, uh, you know, there were a lot of other great contenders. Uh, Harlem Unbound was a crowd favorite. Chris Spivey's game that he did, which is uh, he takes the H.P. Lovecraft racism from Call of Cthulhu and flips it on its head and, turn, and plays a game that's set in the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. Um, stuff right yeah i saw the art the i haven't read through that book but the art yeah. style for it is fantastic and i and it I, is I, I love, perfect, right? and it uses the call of cthulhu rules right yep, it's it like does. A, you can also do trail of cthulhu as well right which is a, a gumshoe variant that ken height did for Hell ah, Green right. Pass, press um and there's a number of other really wonderful uh, uh finalists as well we do a short list every year yeah that we come out with about a month before the the finals um, but, you know, it was neat. We had uh, Satine and Rudy came up and accepted the award along with Ivan Van Norman. And I'm going to forget his name. He does the One Shot podcast. Um, James D'Amato. Thank you very much. Yes. So James showed up and the four of them got up on stage and kind of collectively wound up with the trophy and gave speeches about it. And then uh, Ivan wandered off with the trophy. So I think he still <laughs> got it. At the time, But I'm hoping to actually be able to uh, have it shipped back and forth. So 
uh, all the different podcasts or a number of the most prominent ones, at least, can have it and show it and, you know, say, hey, look at this cool thing uh, that we got here. Because so, it's kind of this neat artifact of history. And yeah. it's been through so many cool hands at this point, too. I so love that. I love that idea of a, of a trophy that's passed from, I know, from, it's from, really from cool. thing to thing. I think that's really neat. It's like the Stanley Cup. Actually, we got it back yeah. every year. I can't believe it, right? Yeah. Some year, somebody's going to wander off of there and lose it. Or one year, I forgot it back at home and had to have it FedExed out to me. And uh, one another year, a guy had a nervous breakdown and didn't show up with it, but somebody showed up a couple days later with it. So. Oh, my nice. God. Now I'm worried about it. It all, it all shows up. So I'm worried about it getting like melted down again and then like reformed into something else. Like yeah, that's. There's that. Yeah. It's been dropped a couple of times. Right? <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, you know, that just adds character to it. We're okay with it. Right. So. Put some put some gum and glue on it and you're good. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Why not? Exactly. Like nobody so ever dropped the Stanley Cup. <laughs> the Stanley Cup's been broken a few times. I mean, I mean come obviously. on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they keep adding to it. I mean, it's getting almost exactly. impossible to hold over your head now. Wait, is it cursed? I didn't know it was cursed. Is it actually cursed? The Diana Jones Award? Or no, someone said, said that in the chat. Stanley Cup, maybe. But oh, okay. I don't think the Diana Jones Award is cursed now. Maybe, you know, so far, you know, nobody's died while it's had, they've well, had it in their... Let's hope not. It's not like the Madden cover, uh, right? Where, right. No, no, nothing like that, right? <laughs> like, uh, Jason Morningstar has actually won it twice. He's the only guy who's won it twice. Ooh. Oh, and uh, you have repeat winners. For Fiasco and for... Uh, it was Gray... Oh, God, what was the one? Something Gray something. It was a, a game about uh, surviving in Poland in World War II. Ooh, right? neat fantastic game that he did and jason's just an amazing designer in, in a lot of different ways right uh robin laws has been on the shortlist number of times too and i think uh what was the name of the game he did uh the drama assistant game i can't remember the name of it. too many things coming at me at once but uh <laughs> were you just looking at your shelf you're like maybe I if trying, i could see myself from here <laughs> I, I actually wrote a little bit for the book right so I'm like oh maybe it's over there <laughs> uh, no worries I, I got a couple bookshelves full of stuff i worked on here and um and uh, that's one of his games. I just he ended up from the Kickstarter he did for that, asking a lot of his friends to just pitch in like one or two page settings. So I did one of those for him. So very um, cool. Hillfolk, Hillfolk, that was the name. Hillfolk, Hillfolk. Yes. That rings. That rings all the bells. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, we just honor whatever we thought was cool. Like I said, one year it went to Irish Irish Game Convention charity auction. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I had never heard of such things. What is what is that? Uh, so like Galecon and Warpcon, which are two of the big. Uh, gaming conventions in Ireland, they have these charity uh, auctions that raise like literally tens of thousands of dollars in a single evening from just gamers sitting around, you know, ready to throw money at stuff. Right? Sweet. And, uh, then they end up donating it to all sorts of different really worthy causes over in Ireland and abroad. Uh, so we thought that was something that was just amazing to see gamers doing good like that and that kind of a scale, right? Yeah. And you know, that was several years ago. So now we see things like the, you know, the extra life stuff that you guys were talking about. Uh, where you, you, people get together and raise money for children's hospitals and such. And I think those were wonderful things, too. But this was kind of a unique thing at the time when it came out, that uh, people were doing this kind of stuff and using games for, for doing that kind of good, which I think is one of those things that helps legitimize the hobby. You know, it's something you do not just for yourselves, but for, for public good. I think yeah. that's always... Are you so? Yeah, are you going to be at uh, Game Hole Con this year? It's right in your back. I am going to be at Game Hole Con. I'm one of the guests. So um, I, I uh, end up doing two or three different events there and uh, wandering around with my kids and playing a lot of different games. But, uh, but if you guys need help there or something, let me know. I'd be happy to jump in. It's always, Absolutely. I always have a blast doing that kind of stuff. It's cool. amazing. I'll be there. You can help me um, play Dungeon Mayhem, our new card game. There we go. I would love to actually learn how to play. So All right. I'm a game design geek from way back. I mean, I'm a terrible game player because. 
as a game designer, I only play a game so I can figure it out. Yes. And I don't ever play a game to get good at it. I've, right? I've played uh, games with game designers. No offense. Yeah. They're not fun to play with. <laughs> <laughs> they start talking about the mechanics this halfway through. This is broken. Through. I would have done it this way. Or they try to break it and see what happens. Like, can we just play? Exactly. Come like, on. Just, you're like dissecting it as you yeah. go. Yeah. Right. Maybe not why you should be there. Right. Um, yeah, but you can read books without. Well, can you read and enjoy a book without editing it? It, it took me years because actually when I started out with TSR back in the day, I started out as an editor. I actually edited for New Infinities for Gary Gygax, which was his second company nice. after uh, after TSR. Uh, so when I was in college, I was doing book editing and novel editing and game editing. And it took me years to be able to put that away and get back up to reading at speed where you can just let all the words go past you. Just for pleasure, yeah. Just for pleasure as opposed to, yeah, I don't like the sentence structure here. <laughs> I do that. Not where I thought the plot was going. Enough, or where the hell did that come from? Or yeah. So it's nice to be able to. I'm at a point now where I haven't done too much editing over the last several years. So I, I used to do that with uh, with yeah. going to see theater all the time. It was very impossible for me to just go and enjoy it. I would be like, oh, that lighting design is off, or like, oh, I can see that person in the blacks behind there doing that thing, <laughs> and or, you know, they're they're using their their micro uh, mic- microphones, their um, flashlights too high. I can getting the flashes <laughs> distracting me from what's going on on stage. I would be uh, such a, a critic about it. But then, yeah, right, you get you get used to it after a while, and you start to be like, I can just be an audience member and turn yeah. off that part you of your brain. that stuff, right? It's yeah. tricky. But otherwise, you're you're ruining the reason you got into this in the first place, True. right? Which is you know the joy that you had for theater or games or novels or whatever. Um, and I, I think it's just amazing to be able to to step back and just uh, let yourself enjoy that in a new way again. But I also think it's valuable to figure out ways to enjoy those technical aspects too, right? I mean, one of the reasons I think I've been able to make a long career as a writer is because I actually enjoy the process of writing, right? It's a lot of people like to like to have written a book; they like to have finished a book. Huh. I actually enjoy the tinkering with the different sentences and phrases and getting the words just right and all that. Um, and the actual process of going through it, that actually is pleasurable for me. It's not painful. Wow. So I, it's one of the reasons I've been able to stick with it so long. And that's why you're so prolific as well. Yeah. That would helps. Yeah. Right. Cause uh, if I hated doing it, it would be pulling teeth the entire time. I know. And I think I'm in the, I'm in the other camp of someone who likes to have written, uh, which is why I didn't get too far with my uh, uh, writing career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some days are worse than others, right? Some days you just have to sit down and pull the goddamn teeth, and you know, and do the work and get it done. Yeah. Uh, but if you're if you're lucky and you actually enjoy the stuff, and you know, to me, it's I also look at this as a very blue collar kind of a thing. I don't look at this as, as an ivory tower thing. If I'm not doing this, I end up I'm going to have to go, you know, build houses or drive pizza or whatever, or dig ditches or whatever I'm going to end up having to do. I've been doing this for long enough. I'm not qualified for anything else in the world, right? So, <laughs> I have to I have to figure out ways to keep doing this. Um, and that's really pleasurable for me, too. I mean, I also do video game writing, too, and that's a lot of fun. And that's a whole different genre and comic book writing and, and encyclopedia writing. So it's nice to be able to switch back and forth with all the different things as well, too. Yeah, right. that is that is a special skill set, though. I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of writers or authors have that ability to transfer their skills from from one medium to another. I always found that kind of curious because to me it's just storytelling, right? Uh, if you're a, if you're the kind of person who could sit down in a bar and tell somebody a story, you're a storyteller, and you can transfer that over to any kind of a genre that you have, right? Mm. Whether it's film or television or playwriting or computer games or comic books or novels or short stories or whatever, it's all got the same nuts and bolts to it. It's really just about storytelling. You're trying to get people intrigued and you know foreshadow things and 
hit them with a good reveal just at the right moment. And that's really just about the same skills, again, that you would have telling stories around a bar or a campfire. Yeah, and I guess this dungeon mastering and playing in a, in a, a D&D campaign exactly. is very similar, right? You're doing the same thing, and that's why... You know, we keep hearing from people in, uh, you know, creative endeavors like writing or uh, in Hollywood when they're making stuff like that. Everyone is just trying to get in on the next game because it's this fun activity, but that also works their muscles of, of creativity. Yeah, I think it sharpens your skills, which is a fantastic thing. There's so many writers out there now. They're like, oh, yeah, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And, yeah. Right. Because it's 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 the thing this for me playing D&D was it was all before fan fiction. Nowadays, a lot of people write fan fiction. To kind of get themselves into writing, right? Yeah. It's like the uh, when the uh, when you learn how to paint, you do copies of the old masters first, right? And then you learn how to do your own thing, right? And it's the same thing with fan fiction. You learn how to write by doing copies of the, or your own versions of these things. But for me, it was playing Dungeons and Dragons. I never did the, the fan fiction thing because it didn't really exist as a thing back then. Uh, nowadays, if I was doing, I probably would start out doing that kind of stuff. But still, I'd be involved in D and D and other role playing games, you know? just games in general. I just think fire your imagination that way. Yeah. Fantastic. yeah, for sure. Like it just gets that imagination fired. Yep, yep. That's why I want my kids to do it as early and often as possible. You got to get them <laughs> reading the. This is like the perfect introduction to being a dungeon master and a player. Yeah, you think so? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's been like with, with Quinn? Yes. But like you were talking about how you, you know your kid and you have to kind of like, you know. Yeah. But like Bart and I are very, very different. And <laughs> when Bart comes to a part of the book where it's like, oh, nope, didn't work out. He'll like kind of like change it and make it still be something kind of cool. Where I'm like, oh, failure. Sorry, <laughs> pick the next option. And he's right. fine with it. He actually likes the failure part of it. He's of like, course. oh, no way. Like he blacked out and a toad ate his face or something. It's I don't so know. It's so funny how you, you and Bart are, are like the, totally the opposite different. of how Bart can never like just let him lose. We were playing Go Fish. And Bart was like, oh, let's just put all of our matches in the middle. I'm like, no, let's play a game. You let's have to learn how to lose, lose a little bit, right? My God. No, my wife is always like, oh, don't let them climb up. They're going to fall. And I'm always like, no, let them fall. They'll be fine. Yeah. Like, you have to learn how to fall. To kind of, yep. I, yeah. So these are, these are also good in teaching your kids winning and losing and success go. and failure. But he's having a great time with them. He's even trying to write his own books now. Oh, fantastic. He really likes to just like throughout the day, he'll just be like, Mommy, do you face the toad or do you die? I'm like, oh, are those my choices? (laughs) I think I'm going to face that toad. Yeah, what's up, toad? I don't know. He's obsessed with it. I want to die. Tell me what happens. (laughs) I know. That would be interesting. We've never chosen that one. See what he comes up with. Everything is always whatever. Or you die. <laughs> so he's he thinking. Of, he's thinking about. He's uh, a good little dungeon. His master. own mortality, mm-hmm. as he should be. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know if everybody uh, listening knows this, but you have uh, uh, quadruplets, right? Is that why you wrote yep. four books? <laughs> no, no. Because they're <laughs> they competitive. <laughs> now I have uh, I have five kids. I got one who's a, a junior or sophomore at the University of Wisconsin right now at Madison. Uh, he's studying uh, creative writing or film video. He's not sure which. Isn't that where he Bart went? Was, yeah. Bart went to University of Wisconsin in, in Madison, as well as Liz Shue from, from the D&D team. Go, Go Badgers. Um, and then we have uh, quadruplets who are now uh, 16 years old, and they're juniors in high school here. Mm. Uh, they end up going to Craig High School in, in Janesville, which is uh, 
where my wife works as a school social worker. It's about 20 minutes north of us. But because she works up there, she's like, oh, I know all the teachers and everybody else. I'll bring you up. And they have a great time. And it clears out my house for several hours of the day. So I get some writing. Done, which is yeah. Yeah. Now that summer's over. Right. So uh, although we had a fantastic summer, I ended up uh, uh, after I left Gen Con, I was home for a few days and I went off to Africa, actually, on a safari. Oh, um, no way. There was a uh, this group called uh, Forward Slash Story that does this um, uh, writing lab. It's run by uh, a guy who's a professor at Columbia in New York City and a woman who's a, a game designer in Australia. And they invite people from around the world to all, to all these transmedia things in different types of categories. And we meet for four days in some kind of exotic location and kind of bounce ideas off each other. So two years ago, I did it in Costa Rica. And this year, they brought me back as alumni. And we were in Lamu Island off the coast of Kenya. Oh, my God. So I don't like, oh, I got the note. They're like, do you want to go to Kenya? I'm like, yes, I'm going to Kenya. <laughs> and my wife's like, well, if you're going, uh, I'm going. <laughs> and if we're, if we're both going, we should do a safari. So we did a, a safari for like six or seven days before that. And then spent three days on the beach in Malindi, which is this little coastal town in Kenya. Uh, and on the way out, we spent two nights in Qatar, too, because it's some kind of crazy. Uh, we flew Qatar Airlines. And there was some kind of a crazy deal where you get two nights in a five-star hotel for 50 bucks if you just do the stopover. So we're like, okay, oh, we're going to okay the Souk Waqif, which is the old market. And we're going to see the new mall that has the uh, indoor uh, snow slide onto it. You know, it's, Oh, cool. Uh, wacky, wacky. They have Angry Birds World. You know, wacky Whoa. stuff. So, huh. uh, but it was an amazing trip. Yeah, you know, we got to do that. We got to we get to Kenya and do the safari and see the Maasai warriors and uh, see all these different lions and, uh, and uh, leopards and, and elephants and zebras and all sorts of amazing things. It was just a great, great trip. So I've only been home for about a week now, and I'm having. I just had a great summer. It's amazing. That sounds really cool. Did you yeah. feel like uh, uh, you were uh, gonna like inspired about uh, writing stories where you're going on adventures oh, yeah. in places like that? <laughs> Like, I'm going to use a lot of this, right? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, no exactly. matter what I'm doing, like, oh, if I'd only written the uh, end of the jungle book now, this would be so <laughs> right. That's what I, I was know, thinking. Right? There's a lot of inspiration there. Well, but, maybe you uh, can. I, I spent time in Costa Rica a couple years ago, so I'm like, oh, I know jungles from that. I can do jungles from Costa Rica. I'll figure that out. That makes sense. Where have you traveled where you um, got in your inspiration for the underdark? Uh, <laughs> All of well, the I caving have... and spelunking. <laughs> yeah, I've done some caving spelunking. over here. There's the Cave of the Mounds up here in Wisconsin, which every grade school kid has to go to on their uh, field trip at one point. Oh. So we did that. Um, and, you know, just uh, my sister was a huge uh, spelunker for a while. Her and her husband would do this big festival in West Virginia every year and tell me about crawling through all the caves. Doing Dungeons and Dragons is nothing like actual cave. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have 10-foot poles searching for traps? You don't have magic. Exactly. exactly. It's a bummer. And, you know, you're not trying to squeeze through these little spaces. They make you very claustrophobic. So, fortunately, it's all 10-foot halls. Yeah, you're okay. Yeah. Luckily, every cave in, in D&D has got 10-foot wide uh, halls. It's it a little weird. It is stunning. <laughs> the, the building codes they've actually established. <laughs> For natural caves. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so these four books, uh, you know, they're based on uh, different classes. So there's the wizard, a cleric, rogue, and fighter. But those are only four of the main classes oh. in Dungeons and Dragons. That's true. Any thoughts about uh, well, a warlock book, a bard book? I, I actually, uh, I've been. It's not been announced officially yet, but I've been clear to tell people. Oh, nice. Uh, I kind of news. I'm sure nobody will tell out here. No, I, it's, it's just between us. So I'm going to be writing two more for next year. Nice. Yay. And uh, we're, we're actually right now talking about the classes and the races that we're going to be going with for that. 
And uh, this week, I'm actually sitting down to do the outlines for those books. So we get the basic stories done, uh, what they're going to be about, and where they're going to be set, and which of the different D and D adventure sets that we're going to pillage for this, these stories. But um, uh, next week, I'll sit down and actually do the outline where I go through the the uh, flowchart bit by bit and say, okay, this happens here, this happens here, this happens here. And then you know, your wonderful friends over at Wizards will tell me I screwed things up, and it's no, it's not. Um, and I'll come. It, we, there, that's part of the give and take of doing books like this. You know, you're always working with a team as opposed to doing it by yourself. Um, so it, that's actually part of the fun, right? There are people out there uh, who know these things better than I do, and they also know Wizards' plans for things for Dungeons and Dragons better than I possibly could. So I'm always happy to have their kind of help for these things. They they make sure I, they keep me on the straight and narrow, and uh, and and um, you know, basically are like an extra brain for me that I can tap into anytime I need extra help on that. For sure, right? So, we're, uh, what are you leaning towards for those two uh, extra ones, as far as classes goes? Can you do you know that? I, I think we're going with a rogue and a fighter, but we're going to do a swashbuckler instead of a fighter. Okay, uh, but a straight fighter. So, um, and is that right? No, it's going to be a cleric. Is going to be the second one, a female cleric, is for for reasons that will become obvious once you see the the uh, uh, area that's set in, which I probably shouldn't talk about quite yet. Nah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. I know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> there you go. Do you, Shelley? <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, then you should be answering the question or asking the questions. Girl, Tell <laughs> so me more. I, so I don't leave What it. do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he could. <laughs> Tell me. Well, that'd be very cool. I, I, I think there's a lot of e- expansion possibilities uh, with these uh, pick your path kind of books. You know, there's just so many, I mean, even continuing from one of the endings that and make them, you know, ca- mm-hmm. canonical to a certain extent and then move on. Exactly. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go here. I think uh, right now when I'm writing these, we're still in the process of figuring out, you know, how are these books doing? How many people love them? All that kind of stuff. It, it turns out that they're huge bestsellers, then I'm going to write boatloads more of them, right? And we'll have all sorts of different plans. If not, we'll do two more, and then we'll see what the heck happens after that. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's how you always do things like this. You want to see, you want to experiment with them and see how, what, what strikes the chord with the audience and what doesn't. And, you know, obviously we all have to keep the lights on, so we need to be able to sell books to make that happen. Sweet. Well, I know uh, Kate Irwin, uh, the art director for these, had a great time uh, picking the pieces uh, and, and putting them all together. Yeah, to there's feel really cohesive. cool art oh, in this. She did a fantastic job. I didn't even thank you, Kate. I didn't know you were involved, but there you go. Uh, because I didn't have any say about the artwork at all, right? All I did is write the stuff up, and then she went out and found all the different pieces that matched up with everything. So good for her. Yeah. It really got assembled into something that looks uh, fantastic. So uh, it's, no, it's, it's, it's a full package with the text and the art and uh, the whole uh, packaging. These are hardcover versions uh, with a dust jacket, yep. uh, which the dust jacket has some shiny shininess on it. Um, but there's also soft cover editions uh, out for everybody uh, yep. to check out. And what, what kind of have you got any feedback from uh, fans who've been able to pick them up and read them? Yeah, yeah, it's been really good. I mean, I've um, I mean, had two types of feedback. One of the feedback is the same kind of feedback we have with Dungeonology, which is people are D&D fans will buy anything that says D&D on it, right? Which is freaking awesome. But if you're a 40-year-old grogner and you're like, click, it just said D&D, and then you get these books, you're like, oh, man, these are not rule books. <laughs> Sometimes they feel a little You're still going to read them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but most of the feedback I've been getting is stuff like, uh, you know, I've been reading these and they cost me sleep or my kids now starting to play. My kids been asking about Dungeons and Dragons See? and I bought them the starter set. There right? it is. Oh, great. The That's gateway. The kind of I really want to get right. Um, anytime you can get some of these interesting games, it's fantastic. And as a writer, if I cost you sleep, I think I've done my job. Right? For People sure. 
to actually put the book down. That's fantastic. Do you ever do school visits? Do you ever get to like talk to kids about your books? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Uh, yeah, I, usually I do keep it local. And if anybody asks me, if it's a local group and it's friends of mine, I just I don't charge anything. I just show up there and spend the day talking to kids and uh, be, get them excited about reading. Yeah. Because right? I think that's a vital thing for for uh, for kids of any age. But you know, reading is such an amazing thing. It opens so many doors for you. And if you don't read and if you don't like reading, you close off so much of the world to yourself. Yep. And if you can be inspired by some bozo walking through your school and telling you how cool things are, <laughs> showing you all the, the zombies in his books and all that kind of stuff, uh, then I think that's great. I mean, if I could do, make some kind of small contribution that way, that would get some kid inspired. Or often will be inspiring the kids who are thinking about writing to really take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And, to, you know... They might not make a career out of it, but just to take it on as a hobby and see if they enjoy it and, and pursue it in that sense, I think it's a wonderful thing to do as well. For sure. I think the, re- the, the reason why, you know, uh, you might scare off the kids, though, is if you're wearing a clown costume, people think you're bozo <laughs> yeah. walking through. That might not be. Th- th- all the kids you... have seen it at this point anyway, so it's, it's all. <laughs> oh. All right, then you're fine. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> they know. They know that that's where the knowledge comes from is from the clowns. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The guy in the sewer. Yeah. Keep away from him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the coolest D&D books. <laughs> and secret doors. And secret doors where he has uh, uh, treasures to behold. Uh, very cool. Well, uh, I'm excited uh, to. I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to make it to GameholeCon, but I'm thinking about uh, heading there myself. Shelly is Do going it. to be there. Yeah. You I need know. to go. Fantastic. You should come. It's a blast. Uh, the guys there are fantastic. They do True Dungeon there, too, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and they've got a number of other writers that show up, like Pat Rothfuss, and uh, last year was Mike Cole and Peter Brett and a bunch of other guys. Um, I think Margaret usually wanders by. Doug Niles wanders by a bunch of the other ones. And uh, the, the team there, Alex Cameron uh, and Andrew Hitchcock and the rest of the crew, they just treat their guests fantastically well. They're really good about that, right? Uh, Alex is uh, a... a huge collector of D&D material. So he's got like Ed Greenwood's original Forgotten Realms map. I know. He, he bragged about that when we, he had him on. He was very, yeah. very excited about it. Um, and he's also he also owns a couple of restaurants in town. So yeah. uh, the night before the show starts, he invites all the guests to his restaurant. And it's just a wonderful time to just catch up and have a beer and a burger and, and hang out with a lot of old friends. So it's always a lot of fun. That is cool. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to go back to that area. You know, like I think you mentioned where, you know, you, it's where you grew up. And I had this theory that a friend of mine actually uh, had where he thinks that the actual, I, mean, I feel like maybe we might have talked about this uh, last time you were on, but okay. it's worth bringing up again. And that the landscape of Wisconsin had a lot to do with uh, uh, the, the, the being the birthplace of D&D uh, to a certain extent. I'm surprised about that. I mean, it's, it's not just Gary, but all the guys who are working with him, including Dave Arneson is from Minnesota, right? Um, so, you know, it's just that whole northern Midwest area. But you have this, these large open tracts of land that are filled with lots of different uh, hills and, and areas to kind of explore. And, you know, like I said, the Cave of the Mounds before, uh, there's a lot of different places to do this kind of stuff. But also, it's so cold here in the winters. <laughs> yeah. Do, right? Indoor <laughs> so, fun. Now, I really do think that that's one of the reasons the games uh, flourished in the Midwest is because you have this long stretch of time in the middle of winter where, if, especially if you're not into winter sports, and, you know, sledding, skiing, all that kind of stuff, you're just stuck inside by the fire for a long time. So to be able to do something that fires your imagination, gets your mind going, and, and, and something you can do with your friends that's good, clean, wholesome fun, as they say, or however you want to play it. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think that's one of the reasons that it, it took root here so strongly, right? And still does to this day. Yeah. 
It's glorious. And going back, I always get, I always start thinking about the, the, the uh, abandoned farmhouses on the horizon. You'd be like, oh, what's there? What's, what's in that place? You know, and you, it becomes. Kick little... the door down and find out. Right? <laughs> That's what a D&D person would do, <laughs> right? right? Try not to kill the hunters inside the cabin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. They were like, we're squatting here, you know, <laughs> and then that's where all the fun happens in exactly. D&D, when you have this all role-playing great moments. All great d adventures start in a barn with a kick-down door and a group of hunters. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the whole tavern thing might be a Wisconsin thing, too, now that they think. Probably. Right? Because there, yeah. like, there is like a German uh, uh, influx of, of Northern oh. European folks in that area, right? Yeah, in fact, one of the biggest lobbies in the state is the Tavern Society, right? Uh, literally, that uh, regulates things like drinking age and all that kind of stuff. Wisconsin was the last state in the nation that actually raised its drinking age to 21 because the tavern lobby was so strong in the state, they kept it at 18 as long as they possibly could. Wow. And, and they still are to this day. We have a long tradition, not just of neighborhood bars. Like if you go to Milwaukee, literally there are neighborhood bars in lots of different corners in the middle of residential neighborhoods, but also supper clubs, which are these things from just out in the middle of nowhere, really, in a lot of places, where you sit down, you have a brandy old-fashioned and whatever the catch of the day is, right? Yeah. So there's that kind of feel of that old tavern where there's, if you walk in and you don't belong in that area, every head turns towards you. Like, where the heck, who are or, you? Yeah. Who's the stranger come to town, right? He must be an adventurer. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and there's the old man in the corner who wants to sell you a map. You know, maybe he's just trying to be a musky guy. We don't know. Very cool. Well, it's worthwhile for uh, uh, folks to visit that area if you are in the uh, yep. uh, the gaming mind. Uh, there's there's tons of inspiration, even just the, men- the people that you mentioned uh, at, at Game Hall Con or Gary Con uh, as well is also in that location. Uh, yeah. Luke Guy Gax has also, been doing it for years. There's a great book that uh, you should read. Mike Whitmer did The Empire of Imagination. Yeah. Theory and how he started Dungeons and Dragons. And if you read that book, there's actually a map in the front of it that's done up like a D&D adventure module map. That was done by Steve Sullivan, actually, that shows you all the different areas in Lake Geneva that you can kind of go visit, right? Oh, so cool. Kind of neat fun to be able to do this kind of historical trip. You can see where Gary's house was. You can see where the original dungeon hobby shop was. You can go out to where the TSR offices used to be. Uh, and especially if you come in for GaryCon, uh, people will actually wander around and show you around these places. Too. Yeah. It's like a map to the stars, but it's a yeah, it map is. to the gaming stars. <laughs> it's gaming history, yeah. Yeah. That's totally it. That is very cool. Yeah, I love that uh, um, uh, graphic novel that uh, uh, Mike Whitworth did. That It was, it was amazing. And uh, I'm excited that he's now doing uh, uh, an Arcana. with oh, the Arcana crew. What a good crew of people. Too. Yeah. Uh, John was showing me some of the John Peterson was showing me some of the preview stuff at Comic-Con. And it was fantastic. Yeah, that right? book is really stunning. Really excited about that book, right? And uh, I was on a panel with Kyle Newman, and I got to finally meet uh, Sam Whitwer at Gen Con as well. So I, I, I collected all for it. They're great people. <laughs> uh, it was just neat to hang out with them. They're really wonderful, excited guys who are really thrilled about these things. It's kind of funny the amount of celebrities we now suddenly have doing D&D material, right? Mm-hmm. We had, uh, and you got uh, Sam and Kyle, but you had uh, uh, Joe Manganiello, who's right. doing Death Save stuff, and Matthew Lillard doing his things too with uh, the exclusive you know, $500 box set that's coming out for Dragon Heist and for the water stuff, right? Yeah, that Platinum Edition looks so cool. Oh, it's just beautiful stuff, right? I saw some of it at Gen Con. It's just stunning. Yeah. Right? It's like people are coming out of the closet and saying, ah, I'm a D&D player. Not only am I a D&D player, I want to make money doing this, providing really cool stuff for my fellow fans. How cool is that, right? I know. I, I would not have predicted it. You know, nope. it was, didn't see it was, that one coming. As little as like three <laughs> years ago, I don't think we would have predicted this. And it's, yeah, it's, exactly. yeah. And it, uh, and part of that's the actual play thing. It's it's just it's made it such a 
a thing that you get these voice actors on they're doing stuff and they make it look so much fun and so cool in a way that you know um it was hard to communicate this stuff in a rule book oh yeah you, know, you had to teach people around a table right but to actually show people how cool and how much fun it could be with people who are professionals who know how to do this stuff really well i mean as a game designer for many years we would often say the worst part about this is you can't package yourself in a box and teach people how to play right <laughs> there's really no good way to do it but now but you can stuff there's lots yeah of to show people how to do it and whatever kind of a flavor they like and it's that's the reason they won the diana jones award this year really because i think it's just so inspiring to see this kind of thing and to watch it catch fire with people again you're seeing it just fire their imaginations and it's just been so amazing to watch for sure and i always use the analogy like it's like you can't you know if, if learning how to play football or basketball you never learned by someone giving you a manual <laughs> right it was like here's here's the rules of baseball like right. that, you know be, be horrible to, to, to read. And D&D, &D, you know, obviously they were more evocative and there was more art in it, but like it's very similar kind of feel. It was very hard to, to get across what it was like to actually play in a game until people could either experience it themselves or watch people playing. And it's exactly. just been blown up since then. And yeah, it's the same thing for professional sports. You have people nowadays who watch football, never played football. Yeah. They watch baseball, never played baseball. But they watch and they enjoy it and they understand the strategy and the rules and everything else. And I think you're going to find that with Dungeons & Dragons. You're going to find people who don't play it, but yeah. they love watching it. Right. Yeah. And hopefully some of those people will convert over to players and do amazing things that will blow us away that we couldn't possibly predict it now. Right. Right. That, that's, that's always the goal. One of the reasons you do this kind of stuff, just to see what happens. Right. That's really what gaming is about is trying to find those those amazing points that people can riff off of and watch other people's creativity just blow you away. For sure. And if we, I mean, you know, to, to, to uh, quote your, you from a couple of minutes ago, but like if we get one person to stay up late reading uh, about D&D. &D, exactly. Then we've done our jobs. There you go. Right? Exactly. Excellent. Yeah, I want them to lose sleep and be tired when they go to school or work the next morning. Yeah. That's what we want. <laughs> Bunch of drowsy children. Stay in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> go to the library. Get these books. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Matt, for uh, calling in and talking to us. There's so much D&D uh, uh, &D material for kids of all ages with these Pick Your Path yes. uh, 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 Endless Quest books. If you're interested, go to your store, uh, right? Uh, most most uh, bookstores will have these uh, in stock, if not ask for them, uh, and get them where you can because I think they're a great way and a great gift for yes, that are. inquisitive, Open creative child. Uh, you know this uh, this this coming year. It so it works. Thank you. Yeah, you check your friendly local gaming store too. I know a lot of those have them too. So. Oh, they do. Great. Uh, yeah, Excellent. Do that as well because uh, we need more of those out there. Definitely. All right, thanks a lot, Matt, and uh, hope to see you at GameholeCon yep. this fall. That'd be fantastic. Shelly will. She'll be there. I will definitely see you. I'll definitely see Shelly. Hope to see Greg, too. Yes, awesome. Me, too. All right. Thank you. Take, Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, all of our literary folks. We are so literary. I feel like I want to go home and read a book. I feel like we should have worn berets and had red wine. Shall we be speaking in this accent? Yes, because we're literary. Whatever. We talked to two authors today. <laughs> we did. We did. Verily. Very prolific authors. I know, right? Not just like, hey, I wrote two books and uh, it's book. taken me it's seven years to come out with the next one. Right. It is like a book every two years or two books every four years. Or like four, years. four at a time. What? what? The man does things in fours. And not just four books. That's like... It is like 12 books 12 books in, books in one. one. <laughs> or like 12 short stories in one. Yep. Really. And the, and the failure. The failure is, is very eloquently done. It's I like it. your blackness overcomes you. Um, and there you're done. And out. Yeah. So just... It's a good lesson. Just like this podcast. 
Um, can this. this can be our outro. So, uh, Shelley, any parting words uh, after our mini, uh, interview here with uh, Mr. Matt Forback? Read a book. Read a book, kids. Read a book. And We're adults. Putting out lots of great books. So we do are putting out lots of great books. Very exciting. Yeah. Get literary. Get, cool. Get read. Get read, kids. <laughs> and adults. Make it happen. Yeah. Um, where can people read about uh, all the fun things that you're doing, Shelly, speaking of reading? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Shelly Moo. Yes. You can find me on Facebook at Shelly Mazenoble Writer. <laughs> Because I'm a writer, too. You are. You've written two books that were mm-hmm. published. Yeah. Go to that Facebook page. Don't go to the regular me page. It's super boring. Unless you want to hear about what's happening in The Bachelor in Paris. That is on my my other page. That's in your writer's page? Yeah. Oh, so don't go there. No, you want to go there. Because <laughs> you want to go there. Excellent. Well, Good stuff. You can follow me at Greg Tito. Uh, of course, if you want to find out about what we do here, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Oh, yeah. Uh, find out everything that's going on in the world. We have lots of fun events and podcasts and streams happening here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DND. We're in the midst of an awesome podcast of Waterdeep uh, yes. storyline that's being released on our Dungeon Delve, our sister RSS feed. Uh, search for that wherever you can. But there are 10 episodes with a cross-section of the D&D live play community doing tons of fun stuff. It's a continuous story, so... You want to go from one uh, uh, episode to the other, but even if you are unable to do that, we do a brief recap, so you should be okay uh, jumping right in to listen to your favorite one. But there's extra bits if you are able to connect the dots and listen to all of them in the row, uh, which is super great. And it's a great way to introduce all the fun storytelling that you can do in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which is out in game stores now. A fantastic 256-page adventure that goes from levels 1 to 5 that Chris Perkins wrote with the help of some friends named James Intricasso and James Hake, uh, as well as... Gotta be named James. I know. You gotta be named James. uh, Or Chris. To to work on that. Or Chris. Or Matt Mercer, I guess. Yeah. He he did some consulting on that book, too. Chris and Matt are the most common D&D names. I mean, Matt Forbeck, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, go, oh, we should have asked him how, where uh, people can find him. I forgot to do that. Uh, but we oh, will list it in the sense. show notes as well as with his bio of all the fun ways that you can get in touch with Matt. Well, he's definitely he's doing. got a website. Uh, there, I know, he's at M Forbeck, I believe, on Twitter. Uh, so follow him there, and I believe that'll be it for this episode of Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. And we are going to knock these down domino style. Ready? One, two, three. Oh! Oh, oh, books fall, everyone dies. What a way to go.